Welcome to You News, the podcast using the power of Univision to bring the news that matters to you in English. Today is Tuesday, October 15th. I'm Maite Interiano. These are today's headlines. As the impeachment inquiry ramps up, the Trump administration's former top Russian advisor tells Congress she saw, quote, wrongdoing in the White House when it came to foreign policy. Reports are now coming in that Russian troops have entered Syria after U.S. forces withdrew from the northern part of that country following orders from President Trump. And it's being called the largest primary debate ever. We'll have a preview of tonight's Democratic debate, the first one since an impeachment inquiry was begun against the president. This and much more today on You News, recorded live in our newsroom in Miami. We begin with the president in peril today, a new testimony in the impeachment inquiry. George Kent, a top official for Eurasia, appears before Congress. This, as we learn more about Monday's bombshell statements from Fiona Hill, a former Russian advisor for President Trump. She explained her deep concerns for Rudy Giuliani's relationship with Ukraine. Lorraine Cassidis has the very latest. Her testimony lasted 10 hours. According to lawmakers that were present, Dr. Fiona Hill was energetic and focused all throughout with apparently perfect memory of everything she had to talk about. Never had a witness that came across as as substantive per minute as she did. There was an amazing amount of information provided. Uh, and I think it will be very helpful. According to sources with direct knowledge of the testimony, she told Congress that she expressed to National Security Advisor John Bolton her concerns regarding Rudy Giuliani using unofficial channels to conduct foreign policy. Bolton urged her to report the situation to White House lawyers. She also told him about an operation being carried out by EU Ambassador Gordon Sondland and Acting Chief of Staff Mick Mulvaney, Bolton calling it a drug deal and in another conversation conversation telling her about his disregard for Giuliani, describing him as a hand grenade who's going to blow everybody up. Democratic Congressman Jamie Raskin saying that Rudy Giuliani's efforts in Ukraine were directly working against American foreign policy. There was an official foreign policy which was attempting to counter corruption in Ukraine. And then there was Rudy Giuliani and um, you know, the gang that couldn't shoot straight, who worked for him, um, who were involved precisely in connecting with corruption. Today is George Kent's turn to testify. He was a deputy assistant secretary for the State Department involved in overseeing policy toward Ukraine. On Wednesday, Congress is expected to hear testimony from Michael Kingley, an advisor for the State Department that resigned his post just last week. Meanwhile, the chairman of the House Intelligence Committee, Adam Schiff, says he's not worried about how the inquiry will affect 2020, adding it's the right thing to do regardless of the consequences. So far, he has not decided whether Congress should vote yet on articles of impeachment. And I think that's a decision that we should make in consultation with our, our members, um, with our leadership, and after a lot of uh, reflection about um, the evidence that we have uncovered, what it says about the president's um, betrayal of his office and whether this is the right remedy. 
And just like Fiona Hill, George Kent was subpoenaed even though he was willing to testify. Tomorrow, House Republicans plan to have a meeting to discuss what their strategy will be, along with messages in regards to impeachment. Mighty, back to you. Thank you very much, Lorraine. Meanwhile, former Vice President Joe Biden's son is breaking his silence on President Trump's allegation he acted improperly while serving on the board of an Ukraine gas company. This is what he said in an exclusive interview for ABC News. Felt just a little bit in your gut, like maybe this isn't a good idea to go and sit on the board of this well, Ukrainian company. I said, to, I said to you, in retrospect, I wished right, up my judgment. Time, you never, it never, you never thought. This might not look right. You know what? I'm a human. And you know what? Did I make a mistake? Well, maybe in the, in, in the grand scheme of things, yeah. But did I make a mistake based upon some unethical lapse? Absolutely not. Biden admits he likely got the job because of his last name, but he insists he was qualified because of his history, serving on the board of Amtrak and the UN World Food Program, as well as his work as a lawyer. And the impeachment inquiry will certainly be a topic at the fourth Democratic presidential debate tonight in Ohio. It will be the most crowded state yet. Twelve candidates on one night. The three early frontrunners, Joe Biden and Senators Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren, hoping to maintain their edge as several other candidates push to close the gap in the polls. And with us to talk about what to expect ahead of the debate is political science professor Charles Selden of Nova Southern University. Thanks for joining us once again, Professor. My pleasure. This is the first debate since Democrats announced an impeachment inquiry against President Trump. Can we expect that the inquiry to come up frequently during the debate? Yes. Up till now, there had been no discussion of potential impeachment. But now that the inquiry is on, it is going to be a major statement for the candidates to talk about. The problem is going to be is I think they're all going to agree. They think that he should be impeached. I'm not sure how much it's going to differentiate the candidates from each other, but it's something that needs to be raised during the debate. Joe Biden is going to be asked about his son's hunters dealing with Ukraine. How will the vice president defend himself? Probably by saying that there was nothing funny about it. His son got the job. He did nothing to help his son. He did nothing untoward. Uh, what can he say? Uh, it was a at best a bad decision for him to take the position, but there was nothing hinky about it. Do you think the fact that he broke his silence today has anything to do with the debate tonight? Oh yeah, I think what they were trying to do was, was sort of inoculate the vice president uh, for the issue by getting it out front, having, him, having the son speak, and hopefully having this be a, a one question relatively quick answer and it's done sort of topic. And changing topics, the Turkish invasion of Syria is another crisis that has come up and surely will come up on tonight's debate. How can the candidates prepare to take a stance on foreign policy questions, especially as they relate to the Syrian crisis? Well, again, I think the problem's going to be that there's not going to be a lot of differentiation between the candidates. They're all going to agree this is a horrible idea a bad decision that what's happening is, is, is hurting the United States, hurting our allies, 
Who's going to trust us in the future? And they're going to say they'll do something different and better. Um, it needs to be said, but it's a general election issue more than a primary issue at this point. Well, it'll be interesting to say to see what they have to say. But now let's turn to Elizabeth Warren. She's leading in some of the polls now. Uh, how do you think she will handle the attacks that usually come with the front runners? I think she'll handle it well. She's an exceptional debater. She's quick on her feet. Um, she's got a steady answer for most issues, which is I have a plan for that. Uh, so it depends what the attacks are. But as we saw with that question during the uh, the uh, town hall on CNN that uh, dealing with uh, gay marriage, she's got a zinger. She's got to come back. She's prepared. And I think she'll be equally prepared here. Uh, she's more likely to be vulnerable with attacks on uh, her background, uh, her story, and whether that's uh, accurate or not. But on the issues, I don't think they've been able to touch her. And finally, Professor, let's talk about Bernie Sanders. Two weeks after his heart attack, do you think he can convince the voters that he's physically strong enough to be the next president? Well, I've, I had heart problems myself, and it is debilitating. I mean, you can bounce back and be perfectly healthy. But two weeks later, you're still feeling the effects of the surgery. Uh, he's going to have to, though. If he doesn't, it could be the end of his campaign. Long term, I see no reason why this should be a problem for him, but it's something the voters have to keep in mind. Here we have a, a, a septuagenarian who has heart issues, and do you want to choose him to be your president for hopefully eight years? Uh, for some people, that'll be a, a, a no. For others, it'll be, it doesn't matter. I like what he's saying. Um, but it'd be best if he comes out with all of his vimining, you know, and energy that he normally uses. Thank you very much, political science professor Charles Selden. Thank you. And it looks like students in California can hit the snooze button. Governor Gavin Newsom has signed a new law that prevents middle schools schoolers from starting before 8 a.m. and high school before 8.30. The new law makes California the first state in the country to push back school start time. But as Jaime Garcia tells us, the new law is somewhat controversial. Real controversy has part the new state law that made California the first in the country that makes mandatory for public, middle and high schools to start classes after 8.30 a.m. aiming to improve the academic performance of students by giving them more time to sleep. Medically, it is recommended at least eight hours of sleep for adolescents. California Governor Gavin Newsom described this law as an historic step to recognize the importance of the student's health. Somebody doesn't get, get enough sleep. Uh, let's take an example of a kid who doesn't get more than eight hours of sleep. So that kid will be more anxious going to school. They can get depression, uh, not able to focus. Um, that kid will not be ready to learn. However, some parents say that this practice will be complicated to achieve. It's very hard to make them go to bed early, especially now with the technology. Even though doctors recommend a minimum of eight hours of sleep daily for adolescents, the easy access to cell phones, tablets and computers has made it more difficult to go to sleep early. iPads and phones and computers that affect the activity of the brain of the kids, so they're more alert 
uh, they're not able to go to sleep early enough so that even though you send them to bed at 9 o'clock they don't end up going until midnight and so by the time they wake up at 6 in the morning to go to school they've only gotten maybe five hours of sleep. Some mothers who currently take their children to school 20 or 30 minutes before 8 a.m. believe that the extra time to sleep will disrupt the morning routine for some working families. La verdad que a las ocho y media se me hace muy tarde. Truthfully, 8.30 a.m. is too late for me. And for a lot of parents who work, and if already it's hard 8 a.m., 8.30 will get us to work at 10 in the morning. The spokesperson of the largest California school district said, Los Angeles Unified did not take a position on Senate Bill 328. We will closely evaluate the impacts to our schools in anticipation of the bill taking effect for the 2022-23 academic year. This change in the schedule of the high schools in California, it was based in a study made by the American Academy of Pediatry that recommends that school will not start after 8.30 in the morning. In Los Angeles, Jaime Garcia, U News. The law does not apply to some early classes or to schools in rural districts. The new start time goes into effect in 2022. Turning to immigration, advocates sprung into action after U.S. Border Patrol agents detained an undocumented woman at South Florida Hospital right after she was released from receiving emergency treatment. Gianna Ponte has more on what led up to the detention. This video captures the moment when an immigrant leaves the hospital escorted by Border Patrol agents. Her odyssey had started hours earlier when she was pulled over by a Border Patrol agent. Her ex-husband and teenage children were in the car. The woman then entered into a panic attack, so officers called an ambulance and followed her to the hospital. The woman didn't feel well. It looks like there might have been underlying medical complications, and everything that was happening obviously made it worse. Once at the hospital, the woman's family called the Florida Immigrant Coalition, and Laura Munoz, another activist, showed up to help her. This video was taken by members of that organization at the hospital during a heated exchange with authorities. Why, why do we have to step outside? Because you're not you're not here with this patient. Yes, we're here. You're not family. We're asking you to step out. Once the police get here, then you guys can we can have a discussion. La señora no tiene the woman doesn't have a criminal record. She's never been in detention. She doesn't have a deportation order. She is just an immigrant. That's what she is. But she doesn't have documents? That's what we assume. Once the person was discharged by the hospital staff, agents transported the person to a Border Patrol station to continue with regular procedures. But even that's an assumption that Border Patrol agents may have had. That's why attorneys assisting her believe it could be a racial profiling case. But they don't want to give any identifiable details because it could adversely affect their situation. Customs and Border Protection reacted in a statement. The officers accompanied the detainee to the hospital while they waited for medical clearance. Once the person was discharged by the hospital staff, agents transported the person to a Border Patrol station to continue with regular procedures. Reported by Lourdes del Rio, this is Gianni Aponte for U News. Now to New York, where the employees at a large nail salon chain took to the streets in Harlem to demand better working conditions. Issues like fair pay and exposure to toxic chemicals are at the top of the list for the group, largely made up of immigrant workers. A Fabiola Galindo reports they want the state to do more. 
Every client and every nail that manicurist Maria Perez attends to, it's crucial to make ends meet. I only earn a percentage and only if I have clients in a day. If I don't get anyone, I go home empty-handed. She doesn't get paid by the hour, nor does she have paid sick days. Only tips and a percentage for every client, forcing her to work 12 hours a day. We work non-stop. We get 15 minutes to eat and then just keep working. That's why she joined other workers to protest these conditions. They rallied outside what they call one of the most toxic nail salons in Harlem. You can all smell the, what's coming from the chemicals from the salon place. All of we are always uh, uh, breathing in that those chemicals. Besides the working conditions, these workers are exposed to chemicals on a daily basis. Es mucha atención, mucho. Our headaches and attention is the feeling that we are polluting ourselves every day. They use chemicals like toluene, used to smooth the application of nail polish. It can affect the heart, liver and kidneys. Formaldehyde, it's good to harden the nail polish, but in concentrated areas can cause cancer, skin problems and nausea. Also, other chemicals that if used every day can cause issues with fetuses and fertility. This has left scars in the hands of Janelia Ramirez. She's been working for 11 years in the industry, and she's afraid of what other ailments she might suffer. I'm afraid to discover that I am worse inside than outside. Four years ago, regulations took effect in New York State requiring nail salon owners to provide protective gear to employees if they request it. But these workers say they have seen little improvement. They do not provide workers with adequate protection, like gloves, masks, and other proper training. Our workers don't have a proper place to eat, and we are demanding the rights are acknowledged. It's important that they know their rights, she says, and if it's necessary, clients should demand that nail salons follow the rules. In Harlem, New York, Fabiola Galindo, U News. More of U News after the short break. Imagine a daily newscast that speaks to you about your world in plain English. Each weekday, we partner with Hispanic America's most trusted news source to bring you the stories from home and abroad that matter to you. They don't know when they're going to be able to go back to work. Victims also from Mexico and this mass shooting. Officials in and out of the residence. We're going to continue fighting. U News covers the news of your world and makes it easy to understand. Your news, your world, U News on Fusion. Welcome back to U News. A new survey has rated the most family-friendly airlines. But first, a new announcement from Google. Anabela Sedano has all the details in today's tech report. Hi there, that's right, and we begin with this. We'll finally get to see a real look of the Pixel 4. Google is set to unveil its newest smartphone today after numerous leaks. One big deal about the Pixel 4 is its rear cameras. The two cameras will be tucked into a square-like fixture on the top left of the device. It also features a Soli Raider chip to enable more secure facial recognition and air gestures. The Pixel 4 is expected to come in standard and XL sizes.
Speaking of phones, people with the S10 smartphones can now upgrade to the Android 10 operating system. Samsung is rolling out a beta version of Google's latest mobile operating software. Upgrades include smaller notification windows, an improved dark mode, a screen time management tool, and a focus mode, which disables app alerts when you want to concentrate on something else, like homework kids. Anyway, well, it looks like JetBlue is taking the crown for being the nation's top airline for families. Yeah, the points guy gave JetBlue the top spot, crediting the airline for its seat comfort, a limited free snack basket, and the ability for families to pool miles together. It's followed by Southwest, which is praised for its free bag policy and family-friendly boarding. Boarding, that's right, boarding. I'm Annabelle Sedano, and that was your Daily Dose of Tech News. Have a good one, guys. Thanks for listening to You News, the podcast. Don't forget to follow You News on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review. And join us tomorrow for a new episode. Until then.